ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. So, Norman, we're going to talk about a furry mammal today in Coronacast. And on that, I've got a, I've got a little story to tell about a different kind of furry mammal. Have you? What is it? It's uh, an iconic Australian marsupial. I woke up at 3am the other morning to find on literally at my front door a koala. Oh, isn't that sweet? I couldn't believe it. It was so good. We keep our dogs locked inside at night, thankfully, and they were going barking mad. And then we came downstairs grumpily to see what was going on. And it was a real treat to discover um, a, I think he was looking for a girlfriend. Did he have a runny nose and a cough? Uh, I didn't get close enough to find out. And maybe that's just as well, because today on Coronacast, a show all about the coronavirus and other viral nasties, we're talking about zoonoses. I am Tegan Taylor, health and science reporter coming to you from Jagera and Turrbal land. And I'm physician and journalist, Dr. Norman Swan, coming to you from Gadigal land. So before we get into animal viruses, Norman, a bit of COVID news. The first one being, of course, a new variant, a new son, daughter, grandchild of Omicron, uh, which is doing the rounds at the moment. This one's called Eris. At the risk of repeating ourselves ad nauseum, is there anything different about this variant? Well, it's not a variant. It's a subvariant, and it's still within the family of Omicron. So we're getting Omicron is the variant, the family name, and this is a subvariant. Another cousin has emerged. And uh, people are getting all excited about it, but it turn, doesn't turn out to be any more dangerous than any of the other subvariants, according to the World Health Organization. So they are not too concerned about it. In Australia, we seem to have a lot of subvariants circulating, one of which might be Eris, um, but there doesn't seem to be a big dominance of Eris in Australia. And it's not really any different in terms of it's uh, evading our immune systems, causing worse disease, any of that? It does mean that there's slow waning of immunity due to these subvariants emerging because they are more immune evasive, but it doesn't seem to be a dramatic shift at this stage. If it was, I think we'd see it far more dominantly in Australia at the moment. And some sad COVID news, Norman. Someone who became a household name, especially early on in the pandemic, has died, Professor Mary Louise McClaws. Yes, um, a friend of the ABCs and was on, on almost every outlet. And you know, it's terrible that uh, such a great person, um, somebody with a wicked sense of humour, somebody who played the bat straight from the scientific point of view, not always welcomed by politicians in terms of what she had to say, but it was from a wealth of experience and she always said it with elegance and grace. And uh, in the Jewish tradition, because Mary Louise was Jewish, there is what we say in the Jewish tradition to close members of the family is we wish them a long life. And just to round out our COVID news section, Norman, the World Health Organization, obviously the global body on health advice, has put out a document called Infection Prevention and Control in the context of COVID-19. And it's really sort of bringing together all of the evidence as we have it so far on how to prevent and control COVID, uh, something that lots of countries have been doing for a while now, but good to have some sort of foundational advice there. Yes, and we get lots of questions about how long you should isolate for, and um, they are really focused in one section on healthcare workers, um, saying that the healthcare workers with symptoms of COVID-19 or proven COVID-19 really do need to stay away from patients, and they're saying that if you're symptomatic, it should be 10 days, if you're asymptomatic, 5 days. Um, that you might be able to use rapid antigen tests to find out when you might be less likely to be infectious because if the RAT becomes negative, you're probably less infectious. But the interesting thing to note is that the evidence that they rely upon is low quality. So even now, after 
three and a half years of the pandemic, we still don't have great quality evidence on just the infectivity over a set period of time. And so to today's topic, Norman, zoonoses is a word that we all became rapidly familiar with at the beginning of the pandemic. It's when diseases come from the animal kingdom into humans and vice versa, although we are part of the animal kingdom. And it's one thing that we have to continue to watch, especially as we become so incredibly globalised. And in the context of farming, it's often a breeding ground, not just for the animals that are being farmed, but also for potential pandemics. And it's something that's Scientists are watching particularly closely at the moment because of avian influenza. Yes, and, and actually a, a new paper on COVID-19 in mink. You might remember that in 2020-2021 there were these mass slaughters of mink in the Netherlands and Denmark because what they showed was that there was COVID-19 to a very significant extent, maybe 60 or 70% prevalence in some mink populations, farmed mink, and that it was getting into humans and humans were reinfecting the mink. So there was this, uh, what they call reverse zoonosis. Where we're giving it to the animal. Yes, that's right. So the, or at least catching it from the animals. And this is where the worry is with um, these zoonoses, and we'll come to flu in a moment, is that you get intermingling of viruses and the virus pops out as a very different virus, and that could be a source of another pandemic in the future. Anyway, a paper from France has come out, uh, probably a bit more complete than the Danish studies. Uh, There were only four mink farms in France. Uh, In one of the mink farms, they had an almost 100% prevalence, but 96% prevalence of COVID-19. In the other three mink farms, the prevalence was much lower. But what they showed was that there was co-infection in the mink in these farms with another coronavirus called an alpha coronavirus. The uh, COVID-19 is a a beta coronavirus, but they had alpha coronaviruses. So not to be confused with the alpha strain that was around quite early on. No, no, this is just a a, a different brand of coronavirus, not the same family. Mm. But the point that the researchers were making was was that you have the risk here in populations which carry these viruses of two viruses intermingling in the same animal. So they've got co-infection with two or maybe more viruses at the same time. They exchange genes and a new virus pops out. Could be an alpha coronavirus, could be a beta coronavirus, but it has pandemic potential because it's dangerous, it's virulent and spreads very easily. That sounds nightmarish. (laughs) Franken-coronavirus. Which is why they slaughter these populations because you want to reduce these populations. Now, fur is, um, is a discretionary item, but food isn't, which is why pig farms become very interesting. So that's COVID in, well, that's coronaviruses broadly in mink, but hasn't there been flu in mink as well? Yes. Recent report from Finland of fur farms. So these are farms that have foxes, mink and raccoon dogs. Remember raccoon dogs? They're very cute. They're very cute, but they carry coronavirus, as we know from the market story in Wuhan. So they, this is a story from, this is a survey from Finland very recently showing that they've got that the avian flu has spread into these 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 populations of mink foxes and raccoon dogs so for those who like to be technical about this this is influenza a and the type is h5n1 avian flu and since april mass deaths of wild birds have been found with this virus so this virus is highly toxic to birds causes mass deaths Um, which you wouldn't be too worried about. Well, you're 
should be worried about in terms of... <laughs> if, if you were a bird, you would be. In terms of environmental impact. But in terms of the human population, if it's circulating in birds, well, okay for the time being. But what has happened in, from Finland is that they found that this avian form of avian flu, highly pathogenic form of avian flu, has got into the, the popul least population of mammals in Finland. And that, we've spoken about this before, there have been previous um, spread into mammal populations, but this is where it starts to get very close to human beings because particularly mink are thought to be very similar. Remember the ferret story and COVID-19 because the ferret was an experimental animal with COVID-19. Mink may be quite similar and therefore the potential of a jump to humans of a virus that causes a very high fatality rate is a, is a real concern. So COVID-19 maybe lying a bit low at the moment, but flu is circulating. And then, then there's pig flu, the swine flu. And the swine flu is, again, some, a survey in Cambodia of pig farms has shown an enormous variation um, of uh, swine flu amongst pig populations, about 4,000 nose swabs from pigs, also, also uh, looking at humans as well, and found that um, it's these mass variations of swine flu in uh, the pig population, and also evidence that you're getting reverse zoonoses, that humans are infecting the pig population. This is what happens, and food is not a discretionary item like fur. Yeah, it, it is a pretty confronting reminder of where food comes from, and not just the impact on animals, also the impact on humans. But we are slaughtering chickens, you know, and we have, we have slaughtered millions and millions of chickens um, on chicken farms to prevent the spread of avian flu, and the potential is there to do that for pigs as well. So, but you know, these these are food sources, protein sources that are needed uh, by the world's population. Should we be rethinking our farming methods if we want to be controlling for future pandemics? The interesting contrast is between flu and COVID-19. We actually have quite good, it's not brilliant, but we have quite good influenza monitoring systems. So we're picking it up in pigs. We're looking at pigs. We're picking it up in mink farms in Finland. What we're not doing is systematically surveying for COVID-19. If we're picking it up, it's almost accidental along the way on PCR testing. And so we're not monitoring all emergent viruses. The practice at the moment is really to find outbreaks and control them by slaughtering largely. Um, and that's the way to control them rather than necessarily immunization because we've got rapid um, evolution of the virus. It's very hard to keep up in animals with uh, an effective vaccine. It's a pretty hard thing to think about, but it really does bring us back to that concept of one health and the fact that we're all part of the same ecosystem here on planet Earth and what affects animals can affect humans and vice versa. And we need to be really watching that closely, doing that surveillance, like you say, to protect everyone. That's right. And in essence, flu has been a seasonal virus uh, which circulates in the colder seasons, northern hemisphere, colder seasons in the southern hemisphere, then circulates through the tropics, changes, via, changes nature and then spins to the next hemisphere. So far, we've had very similar patterns, north and southern hemisphere. But what we don't know is whether climate change is actually going to change the ecology of the virus, where it becomes less seasonal or you have longer seasons or shorter seasons or different kinds of viral mingling. And we just don't know that yet. Cool. Just another way that our interconnectedness on this planet and, and what we're doing to it is uh, potentially harming us in the long run. That's a that's a really nice, cheery one, Norman. And you know, just to reinforce last week's Coronacast, just stop picking your nose because you never know what that's going to do. <laughs> 
that's the one takeaway people have. That should be it. Absolutely. All right, well, we'll leave it there. We'll see you again next Wednesday. See you then. <laughs>